Well, we want to welcome you to First Baptist Eichard this morning. Uh, glad that you have come to worship with us. And this morning, uh, in particular, uh, we celebrate. Uh, this morning, as we think about Easter, it is the reminder of why we have service even on a Sunday. Why not have service on the Sabbath day as uh, the people of God in, in history in the Old Testament celebrated? Why, why have service on Sunday? And it's because it's not the day of rest that we celebrate on Sunday. It's the day that he rose again. The Bible tells us that early on the first day of the week, there was a group of ladies that went to the tomb and they were going to anoint his body, Jesus, who had been murdered just a few days before. And when they got there, they discovered that the stone had been rolled away and that the tomb was empty. And in Mark's gospel, as we saw in our sunrise service, there was a man dressed in white sitting at the end of the place where he had laid. And he said that he's not here, that he has risen. And he told the ladies to go and tell the disciples what they had seen. So that's why we gather on the first day of the week. We gather often in the morning. And we do so as the church has done now for nearly 2,000 years in remembering what Jesus has done and remembering that he has been raised from the dead. And I want us to think about this, that this morning. I want us to think about what it means that Jesus has been raised, that he is risen, that he is no longer dead. He has conquered death and hell and the grave. He has obtained the victory for us. He holds the key to our salvation. Our lives, when we follow him, are forever different because he has been raised. I think the place that that should be expressed maybe most clearly is in the relationship that we have with the world around us. Jesus, during his life, pushed back against the world. He pushed back against sin and against worldliness. He pushed back against religious authorities who had distorted what God had said in his law. And because of that, ultimately, he was murdered. He was killed. He was crucified for that. And his resurrection changes everything. Either it is that it didn't happen and nothing really mattered, or that it did happen and it's the most important event in all of human history. There's no in-between. There's no gray area on that. It is one or the other. And so because of that, the way that we live is transformed by the resurrection of Christ. It's different because Christ has made it different. How do we interact then with the world around us? James, in his letter that we have in Scripture, says this, Do, not, do you not know that friendship with the world is an enemy with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. When we look at the world around us, we often do not see a lot of difference between people who say they are Christians and people who are very clear that they are not Christians. 
This is the same both in what they believe. It's astounding the number of Christians that don't really believe the things that are necessary to be a Christian. But it also in the actions. Many times our own actions and the way that we live are not different from the world around us. So what does the resurrection do? How does it change those things? This morning we're going to consider that. So I would invite you to turn with me in your Bible to 1 John in chapter 2. First John in chapter 2, we're going to begin reading in verse 15. Many of my friends who preach through books of the Bible, when they come to Easter, they feel it necessary to change what they're preaching for that Sunday. I don't, and the reason I don't is because if it weren't for the resurrection, none of these texts would matter at all. And we understand each and every one of them from Genesis 1 all the way until the end of Revelation because of the resurrection. Not in spite of the resurrection and not outside of the resurrection, but all of these things matter because of the resurrection. So 1 John in chapter 2, and we'll begin in verse 15. I invite you this morning to stand with me as we reverence God's Word, reading verses 15 through 17 together. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. You may be seated. I want us to consider our relationship with the world in light of the resurrection. So this morning we will see three factors to understand in our relationship with the world in light of the resurrection. Three factors to understand in our relationship with the world in light of the resurrection. The resurrection of Christ changes everything. There are only two things that can be true about it. Either it did not happen, it is the greatest lie ever put forward on humanity. Millions upon billions of people have believed it falsely. And nothing in life has any meaning whatsoever. Or it happened and it changes everything. And you say, well, no, there's this in the middle and there's that. No, there, there really are those two things. Either Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. He is the Son of God. He has the power to create and the power over your life. Or it's all a big lie. And nothing matters. Life is meaningless. There is no purpose in your life. You will die one day and disappear never to be heard from again. And you say, that's pretty gloomy, the other choice. I didn't make it that way. I'm just telling you how it is. 
Either Jesus is who He says, His resurrection changes everything, or life has no meaning. I believe that it happened. I believe the Bible is clear that it happened. The eyewitness testimony is overwhelming that it happened. Not only in these witnesses that record this, but hundreds of other people saw Jesus raised from the dead. A testimony that has been attested to for again 2,000 years. And so with it being true, and with it meaning everything, how then does it affect our relationship with the world around us? Well, John is very clear as he begins this portion of his letter in verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. So the first thing he gives us then is the requirement of our relationship with the world. We do not love the world or the things in the world. This is a message we need to be clear this morning that is addressed to the church. He is writing here to the church. We look at these things and we often like to say, well, yes, people who are outside of the church, people who are not Christians, people who are quote-unquote sinners, this is who he is talking to. He's telling them not to love the world. He is writing this letter to the church and to the people in the church. A people who are a part of the church. Which would tell us then that it is possible for someone to be a part of God's church and have a love affair with the world. To love the world and the things in the world. One New Testament scholar defined the world as this, mankind organized in rebellion against God. The world. We often think of the world as as the earth, and it can mean that in Greek, but it does not mean that here. It's not talking about the trees and the water. It is talking about the things of this world. And as I appreciate this New Testament scholar saying, mankind organized against God. Us loving the things that are organized, gathered together against the work of God. It should be easy for us to see those things in our society. There are clearly, and there is clearly, an organized effort in our world against God. We see that in Hollywood. We see that in Washington. We see that in New York. We see that in our own community. Organization against God. And as odd as it may seem, there are people in our own churches, there are people in our own community who who tie themselves to these things organized against God. They love these things. They love the world, so they love the structure and they love the things that the world produces. They love it so much that it often comes in between their relationship with the Lord. But the requirement that God has, because He is God, because He has raised His Son from the dead, because the resurrection has occurred, the requirement for the Christian is do not love the world 
or the things of the world. If we're honest with ourselves, these things are not hard to define. We know what they are. We know the things in our own life that pull us away from the Lord. Some of them, some of them seem like good things. As we'll see in a moment when we, when we look at the second verse and he, he gives this, this fuller explanation with the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. If we go back in the Old Testament to Genesis chapter 3, which is the words that John is echoing here, when Adam and Eve are tempted in the garden and they look at the fruit that they're going to eat and they see these same things, it looked nice. It was good for food. It would make them like God knowing good and evil. It would make them wise. That fruit in and of itself was not bad. Apparently, as they saw it and looked at it, it looked good. But why was it wrong? Because God had said it was wrong. Why was it wrong for them to eat of that fruit, that one tree in the garden? Why was it wrong for them? Because God had said it was wrong. Friends, we can look at all the things in the world that we enjoy. Things that, that bring people pleasure. Sins that they indulge themselves in because they, they seem good. But here's the reality of how you know whether or not something is good. It's not the joy or supposed joy it brings you or the temporary pleasure that it brings you, but we have been told by God not to love the world. He has given us commands on things we should do and things we should not do. And that is where we understand right and wrong. Not whether or not it, it seems good for the moment. Not whether or not it brings us temporary pleasures. But whether or not God has told us we can do this or we cannot do that. The requirement because of the resurrection is that we do not love the world or the things of the world. If we do... He says in the second sentence of verse 15, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He's very clear on that. In fact, John is very pointed. We, we often like to make things into to gray areas where maybe a little bit of this is okay or a little bit of that. We adopt almost an Eastern philosophy where every good thing has a little bit of bad in it and the bad things have a little bit of good in it. That's not biblical theology. That's not a biblical understanding of God or the way the world works. God has been very clear on His commands and John is very clear here. If anyone loves the world... The love of God is not in him. You can't have both. 
We can't have a, a little bit of godliness maybe on the weekends or maybe when we're, we're having a tough time or, or when we find a time to pick up our Bible or we, we bow down to pray at a meal, then we have a little bit of godliness. But, but the rest of the time, we kind of grab a hold of, of worldliness and worldly things and we enjoy that and we like that and we, we kind of keep ourselves in this tension. And maybe even we think this tension is, is good. In teaching the, the youth on Wednesday night as we were talking about repentance, one of the problems that a lot of people have with repentance is they, you know, they don't want to feel bad or they don't want to feel guilty or whatever. So, so they try to be good enough and have enough religion that maybe they don't need Jesus. Friends, that's not how it works. We either grab a hold of God and cling to Him tightly and He is our all and He is our strength and that is how we make it through the day. Or we grab hold of the world which this passage reminds us is fading away and we grab a hold of that ship that is sinking and we go down with it. We can't have it both ways. Friends, you can't be in love with the world and in love with Jesus. A good example that I think, again, came from, from our study that we were looking at with the youth, the, the writer says, you know, if I'm faithful to my wife 95% of the time, that means out of every 100 women that I would know, I would have an affair with five of them. I, I don't think any of you who are wives in this room would consider that to be faithful. If you do, you need to, you've got a problem, and please talk to me after the service, because it's not. But that's how we try to treat our relationship with God, that, that we'll love Him, and, and let's be optimistic, this is, we don't normally say 95%, but we'll love God 95% of the time, but we just need 5% of the pleasures of the world to get us by. And we won't pick the really bad ones, but, but we, we've got some vices. Friends, the command, the requirement is very clear. Because Christ has been raised and that is the most important event in history and that changes everything. The requirement is that we cannot love the world. That's the requirement of our relationship with the world. What's the reality of our relationship with the world? Verse 16, it's not compatible with loving Christ. Why is it not compatible? Well, he says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. You cannot serve two masters... And the world which will gladly enslave you and gladly ensnare you and take you down with it because the world has been defeated. As he already says, it is passing away. The resurrection shows us that Christ has conquered death and hell and the grave. He has conquered the world. And so when the world entangles you and ensnares you, you are putting yourself in with a team that has already been defeated. These things are not from the Father. They do not come from Him and they do not draw us closer to Him. Again, it's these very same things that Adam realized when he disobeyed God. 
when He plunged the world into sin because of His disobedience, it was because He saw these things and believed that He knew better than God. But they didn't. And He didn't. Genesis 3.6 So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took it and ate the fruit, and she also gave some to her husband. And in that one act of disobedience, that, that seemingly small act of disobedience, everything around us that is broken happened. Why do people die? Because Adam and Eve chose the world and the desires of the world over the love of God. Why does decay happen? Why do terrible tragedies occur? Why do we see evil and wickedness? Why is there terrorism and school shootings and bombings? Why do those things occur? We want to lay the blame on anyone and everyone. We want to blame someone that is not like us and different than us and has a different philosophy than we do. Friends, the reason those things happen is because the world was plunged into sin because the desires of the world were enticing. They looked good and it was... In a moment of tragic temptation... Adam and Eve plunged us all into sin. Because God is holy and He demands perfection. And He made them perfect. He made them good. But with an act of disobedience, the reality of the world was put into motion. And these things... The desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. Those things which were evident in Adam and Eve are still evident now and they do not come from God. When we engage in the things of this world, when we have love for this world and the things of this world, we plunge ourselves further into darkness. We continually separate ourselves from God instead of being drawing closer to Him. Jesus was also tempted with these things. When He was tempted in the wilderness and Satan came to Him to tempt Him at the beginning of His ministry, He was tempted in the same ways. He was tempted with the desires of the flesh. He was tempted with the desires of the eyes. He was tempted with the pride of life. And in all of those things, Jesus resisted those temptations. He did not give in to them. Because He was without sin, He could go to the cross on our behalf. He could die in our place and be raised from the dead victorious. Friends, the reality is the things of this world do not come from God. And if this morning you are claiming the name of Christ, if you are saying that you are one of His followers, that you love Him, that He is your hope and He is your salvation. He is the means by which you will go to heaven and be with God forever. You cannot say that while simultaneously being in love with the things of this world. 
Friends, when you walk out of those doors, you live among people who are completely sold out to loving the world. They have bought in to all of the lies. They believe that they need the biggest and best. They believe that whatever they do is okay. That there is no right or wrong. There is no higher power to tell them what is good and bad. That is the people, those are the people that you and I live among. And so for us to love God means that we are radically different than the people around us who spend all of their time trying to get ahead in this world, to obtain the things of this world, to have the pleasures of this world, only to find at the end of their life that those things will pass away. You cannot take them with you. Even the memories you make from the sin that you live in, those memories will end when you die. You will not take those with you. You will not remember any pleasure of this world brought about in sin. And yet God has called us to be different. God has called us to think about His things, to do His things, to follow His commands, to invest in things in life that will last, to build relationships that last forever through Christ, to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven and not treasures here on earth. Friends, that's the reality of our relationship with the world that the things of the world do not come from God. And if you have bought into that lie, if you have grabbed hold of the things of this world, they are things that are passing away and they will not draw you closer to the Lord. In fact, they will keep you from Him. Think about the consequences for Adam and Eve as they plunge the world into sin. They no longer enjoy the fellowship they had with God. Life was easy for them. They walked around and did what they wanted to. They got to enjoy all of God's creation. They were at peace with all of creation. Immediately that ends. The relationship with God is severed. They are kicked out of the Garden of Eden. They are forced to work hard to survive. They see the heartache of one of their sons murdering another son. They see the heartache of what sin does to creation. Friends, that's the consequences of love with the world. But the resurrection changes all of that for us. It makes it possible for us to have a relationship with God, for our focus to be on Him, for our joy to come from Him, for us to set aside and put away the things of the world and follow Christ. So there's a requirement that we do not love the world. The reality is that our, the things of the world do not come from God. And, and, and then a third thing, the results of our relationship with the world. Again, there's two ways that we can live. And we see the results in verse 17. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. The world is passing away along with all of its desires. But whoever does the will of God will abide forever. Love for the world will not last. 
cannot last. We think about just in the last couple of weeks, the physicist Stephen Hawking passed away. He had lived most of his life with ALS. He was confined to a wheelchair, and yet one of the most brilliant minds of the last 50 years. Probably one of the most brilliant minds maybe in the history of humanity. His work will abide until the end of time. I think it's safe to say that he had the type of impact on the study of the universe that his name and what he did will last until the end of time. But it will not last forever. And Stephen Hawking was very clear that while he believed that there was this magnificent time when everything kind of came into being. It wasn't by God. It could be explained thoroughly and completely by science that there was no higher power. Stephen Hawking died with no hope. Because as much as his work may endure and his name may endure in books until the end of time, until all things are made new in Christ, he believed that he would not endure past the moment of his death. That there was nothing else. There was nothing else coming. Friends, the reality is that we're all going to live, to, we're all going to live forever. The Bible is very clear that we will all live forever somewhere. Those who follow Christ will be welcomed with well done, good and faithful servant. And those who do not follow Christ will be told to depart from God and will be separated from Him forever. Someone like Stephen Hawking loved the things of this world. He loved science. He loved mathematics. And he was a brilliant man. But his love for the things of this world were not compatible with a love for God, and therefore he rejected him. Friends, that's the results of our relationship with the world. If we love the world, those things are passing away. If you love money more than you love God, one day it will be gone. And you may, until your final breath, have all the money that the world would ever want, all the money that you could ever want at your disposal. But the moment your life ends, you cease to breathe, that money goes to somewhere else. If they bury it with you, somebody will dig it up and take it from you. The Egyptians believed that, that you could take it into the next life. And so they they put it all with them in their great pyramids, in their great tombs. And what happened? People raided those and stole it. They didn't take it with them. In fact, most of them didn't even stay in those huge pyramids. Somebody dug them up and put them in a museum. You didn't get to keep your stuff. If you want to live an immoral life, that's what you want to do. That's your goal. You go out every day to to just do the wildest and craziest things with your life. One day that will end. Either you'll die and it will be over and all that will be behind you is a broken life. Or you'll live wild enough that someone else will end your life for you. Friends, if we love the world, that love will end one day. 
And again, we may get to live it up our entire life. The world may look at us as a model of depravity and debauchery, but we'll still die one day. We'll still die one day and we'll die with no hope. However, there's a contrast to that. Because he says at the end of that verse, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The one who has loved God, the one who has rejected the things of this world, instead of his time ending, instead of eternal separation from God, he gets eternal joy. She gets eternal peace with God. Instead of having the things of this world that are temporary and are passing away, we are given eternal life in Him. The Lord rejoices in our obedience, and obedience to God brings about life. The one who does the will of God abides forever. There are two different results. If we have a relationship with the world, the results are that those things are taken away, they fade away, they dissolve and are destroyed. If our relationship is with God, our obedience is toward God, then we endure forever. I wonder this morning where your loyalty lies. I know a lot of you like basketball. And there's been this tournament going on, which I'm pretty sure for most of us in the room we stopped watching last weekend or the weekend before. Unless you happen to be a random fan of one of those teams. If you look around the arena when they show that, or maybe a football game. You know, I like football. I haven't talked about it in a while because it's like April, but it's coming back. When you go to a football game, okay, so I go to a, a Panthers game, you go to a basketball game, it's normally pretty easy to tell where someone's loyalty lies, right? So if you go to a, a Carolina Duke or a Duke State or Carolina State game or something like that, okay, if you go to a State Carolina game, if people are wearing red, they're fans of State. If people are wearing light blue, they're fans of Carolina, right? Some of your Vols fans, they all sit on this side, oddly enough. I think all of them sit on this side. You know, they wear orange a lot, these people over here. You might not know that's the reason. It's because they like the Vols. It's very rare, though, that I go to a sporting event, okay? And I go to a lot of them, where there's a question about someone's loyalty. Like, you don't normally go to a... Uh, a Carolina and state game and see somebody that's wearing a shirt with you know, no, no emblem on. It's, it's rare. You don't just go and see somebody that walked in off the street with nothing on it. Normally, you either have the home team, and mostly it's the home team, but then sprinkled in is the away team, and, and you know those are the diehard fans because they showed up at the other arena wearing the other color, and they are sold out. And there's no question. There's no question about where their loyalty lies. But can I tell you that when it comes to Christians, sometimes it's really hard to tell. 
I mean, we can be real clear about where our sports loyalty lies. But if you look at the life of a lot of people in church and you, you spend some time with them and you, you dig into what they believe and you, you dig into how they live, it can become very, very difficult to know where their loyalty lies. Because, I mean, we don't all show up with, with the t-shirt on that says, you know, I'm a Christian. But, but even if we did, that might tell us in sports who the other person pulls for. But it doesn't tell us in life where their loyalty in their heart lies. Because a lot of times as Christians, we, we try to have the best of both, Right? So we, we love Jesus when it's convenient and, and we, we follow Him when it's, when it's okay and, and when it works out for us. But, but man, over here, there's this thing in the world that's kind of enticing. And if we do that, well, it's not that bad. It'll be okay. We just do it one time and it, it'll be, we'll, just, we'll just hang out with the world a little bit and we're going to come right back. Friends, it should be much more clear in life if our loyalties lie to the world or to God, then what loyalties it is to our sports team? What loyalty it is to our political party? What loyalty it is to our, our elementary school or our middle school or our high school? What, what loyalty it is to our job? What company we work for? What, what brand of, of soda we like or some other nonsense like that. Our loyalty to Christ should be much more than the t-shirt that we wear at a sporting event. And I wonder this morning, where is it at? Because Christ has been raised. We celebrate that this morning. We, we've sang about that this morning. We, we are excited about that this morning. Christ has been risen from the dead. But that means everything has changed. We can no longer live as people of the world, as followers of the world. We have to live as Christ lived, a life dedicated to His heavenly Father. Christ's hope was in the imperishable salvation that came from the Lord and not in this world that is quickly passing away. We have to make a decision today. We have to make a decision that is before us like the Old Testament leader Joshua asked this people when he, when he said, choose this day whom you'll serve. Make a decision. He said, who are you going to follow? Are you going to follow after the Lord or are you going to follow after the world? He, he calls on His people to make that decision. And the Lord has put that choice before us as well. Will we decide? Will we choose the, the fleeting desires of this world or the eternal Creator of the universe? We will love one or we will love the other, but we cannot love both. Friends, this morning, if you believe the resurrection has changed everything, if you believe that God raised His Son from the dead, and that He will one day raise up us, then today is the day to make a decision. Who do you love? God gives us the clear command, do not love the world. The question then for you is what will you do? 
If you've never followed Christ, today's the day to do so. The resurrection has happened. It changes everything, and it means you have access to God. If you've never followed Him, you need to come at the end of this service and let me share with you how to do that. You need to find someone around you and say, how can I be saved? How can I know this Jesus that the preacher is talking about? But knowing most of you, most of you profess Christ. You state clearly that you have been saved. Jesus says in his word, do not love the world. What are you going to do with that? It's time to make a decision. Will you love the world or will you love God? Let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for loving us in Christ. We thank you that you not only sent your son, you not only sent him to the cross, but you raised him from the dead. He has conquered death. We have victory in Jesus. God, would you speak to the hearts of those this morning that have never believed that? They've never believed in your son. God, let them come. God, let them know how to be saved. God, I pray, I pray for those here who know you, but have not turned their back on the world. They, they've not rejected the things of the world. They, they still embrace them and hold to them and, and love them. God, I would just ask this morning that you would convict each one of us for we have failed you in this area. God, let us proclaim that you are enough and that our love is for you and you alone. God, thank you for your grace and thank you for the wonderful resurrection and for life. God, speak to our hearts during this time. We pray this in Christ's name. Invite you to stand with me. We're going to sing a final song as we do. I want to encourage you with this. If you've never followed Christ, let me share with you today how to do that. Come during this time, see me after the service, and let me share with you how you can know Him. But, friends, if you claim His name, do not love the world. If that's a struggle for you, cry out to our Heavenly Father this morning that He would remove that temptation those desires of the flesh, those desires of the eyes, the, the pride of life, that he would remove that from your heart so that you can follow him. Would you respond to God's word this morning as we sing together?